Welcome to the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Welcome to episode 11 of the Full Disc Aviation Podcast, the podcast for all things aviation and aviation photography. I'm Nick Moore, and with me today is Nick Pascarell. How are you doing, my friend? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. I'm excited. Good deal. Good deal. Well, we've got another special guest today. This one spends more time behind the lens than in front of it. His work is instantly recognizable amongst the landscape of aviation photographers. In a world of photographers trying to emulate one another, our guest has gone another direction and created his very own artistic style that is both elegant and exciting at the same time. Not only has he captured the attention of his fans and peers, he also did the same for a major air museum, and the results of that relationship are nothing short of spellbinding. We at Full Disc Aviation want to extend a warm welcome to our guest, creative director of the Lewis Air Legends, Mr. Bradley Wenzel. Bradley, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Absolutely. Good. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time, and uh, with that, you want to take a few moments and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so yeah, my name's Bradley Wenzel. You can cover that. Um, I am a uh, photographer. Um, I'm currently the creative director at Lewis Air Legends, and uh, I got my start in photography, I don't know, I guess officially maybe 12 years ago or more. Um, but I had just kind of grown up with a camera always around and in my hand and didn't know what I was doing with it. Just knew I liked <laughs> taking photos, but uh, it wasn't until um, kind of a, a leaving a, a different career that I kind of got at a crossroads where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And, you know, family and friends urged me to do something I was really into, which was photography. And at the time, didn't know how to go about that, but I knew I loved it. So went ahead and did it. And uh, I, uh, thankfully, right from right off the bat, I landed a job working for Aaron Chang, who's a kind of world-renowned surf photographer. At the time, I was living in San Diego, hence the surfing. And uh, I worked with him and I had grown up, you know, knowing his, his pictures and his posters on my and friends' walls and stuff. And uh, yeah, from there, I just uh, I learned as much as I could. Uh, I mean, at that point, he had he had been the chief surfing photographer for Surfing Magazine for 25 years. And now he was on his own, really as a uh, kind of fine art photographer with a gallery with all of his uh, images. So uh, I learned a lot from him. And then from there, gosh, I worked for probably another half dozen photographers ranging from you know child family maternity to fashion and celebrity to just straight commercial work so uh kind of a gamut of stuff which was great I learned a lot of different stuff and techniques from uh, different walks of the uh, photography industry and um yeah then I just I freelanced for a long time did editorials uh for a number of magazines and then finally decided to go back to college way late uh, and went to Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara and uh, did that for about a year and a half after I tested out of the first year. So that helped. And then uh, from there, I moved to L.A. for a few years, worked with uh, a couple of photographers there and then uh, moved back to San Diego, was freelancing and then um, got a, a call from a good friend of mine that was doing some off road race logistics for uh, a uh guy based in San Antonio, Texas, who had an off-road team, and they asked me if I would be interested in filming and photographing some of their races, and uh, so I said, yeah, no problem. Um, I'd grown up going to the desert and the Baja races and all that stuff, so I was familiar with it, and yeah, filmed and photographed uh, three or four races with them. They had a helicopter, so getting up in that and filming them from the air as well as from the ground, and finally got a uh, phone call after all that and said, hey, you know, we're we, we've got a number of companies out here in San Antonio, including Lewis Air Legends and, uh, you know, a corporate company. Would you be interested in coming out and doing this full time? We, we like you. We like your work and, and all that. And short answer was yes. And <laughs> picked up and moved out. And that's where I am today. How long ago was that? Uh, that will be three years in May. Okay. Well, that's uh, that covers a lot of the first part of the uh, my questions. Um, <laughs> well, I can definitely go into detail. Hopefully, that wasn't too long. But no, that was that was great. Um, there's so much to unpack there. 
um, the surfing thing was really interesting. Uh, I haven't seen um, anything of what you've done with the surfing, but that'd be that'd be really cool to see. And I feel like the um, the simplicity and contrasty nature of big waves and ocean fits with that uh, like that elegant minimalist style that you have. I mean, to clarify, the, when I worked with Aaron Chang, he he was uh, more focused on his gallery, so we weren't actively. Um, he had a couple shoots come up that that were for surfing that just involved him, and uh, but yeah, so we never we weren't actively shooting any surfing. Have I done some in the past? Yes, just from a, a for a while. So it was I guess the majority of my background was portraits, editorial, um, stuff like that. Um, kind of focused more on advertising and so just over the years uh photographed lots of athletes and you know several of them ended up being surfers so yeah uh, definitely surfing is uh falls in that kind of category of, of sports something moving obviously a little more difficult than certain sports just given the vantage point <laughs> um if, you know if you're not in the water you've definitely got to depending on the break, you know, sometimes you can be incredibly far away, which is uh, very challenging. As I'm sure you guys know, shooting with really long lenses and trying to <laughs> capture a moving object is no easy task. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then with surfing, you know, they're changing directions. They're, you know, slowing down, they're speeding up, you know, and this and that. So were you in the water for some of those shoots or mainly from land no yeah it was all on land i always okay. wanted to i always wanted to get in the water and and take on that that aspect of it because i have a a good friend of mine that i went to brooks institute with and that's what he does um he's just all about surfing and follows surfers around the world and he's in and out of the water and his stuff is is beautiful one of those one of those types uh his photography is the type that i see it and i just I just drool and it makes me want to get in the water and do it, but I've yet to yet to be able to. <laughs> That's cool. Um, going back to college, how much would you say that influenced your artistic direction? Quite a bit. Um, there was, I mean, a lot of the reason why I wanted to go back was I knew that I I wanted to do something in that industry that may not have just been specifically photography, um, but having a little bit more of a hand in the creativeness of it. Um, like I mentioned about really like advertising and everything that goes into that. So um, I, I really liked uh, figuring out the copy, the catchphrase, the text you would see on an ad. And uh, that intrigued me. So uh, there was a lot of, a lot of reasons why I went back to school, but you know, once I, I once I got there, it was really eye-opening just to be around so many different people from so many different walks of life mm. um, with all different kinds of tastes. You know, you'd go there and, I mean, you would just have people that were diehard medium format film to, you know, high-end fashion to sports, you name it, everything. And... Um, so it was, it was just really interesting because you could you could just get in the minds of those people. It wasn't just looking at their photographs, um, but becoming friends with them. And then we had a great team of um, professors there that all came from different backgrounds that had been in the industry for decades and had a lot to share. And yeah, and then just really wanted to go there too, just to network. I mean, that's that's a I can't preach about networking more than that is. I think everything I've ever done has always just been through meeting someone, talking to someone, you know, I don't want to say very little advertising, but you know, just word of mouth and networking and friendships and Definitely. so on and so forth. So that was, yeah, that really helped. And that's where I ended up meeting one of the photographers that I ended up going to intern work for, for a little while. And that was, which is a um, fashion and celebrity photographer. So that was really eye opening too, of just that type of, those types of photo shoots, that industry, the locations of them, things like that. So yeah. Well, going back on all that stuff, what is your favorite stuff to shoot? Like, is it the surfing stuff or aviation or fashion or? I mean, the aviation stuff is, is awesome. 
um that's kind of i i mean i guess part of it is is the uh the experience especially air to air for sure yeah um because you know half of it to me is the experience just the kind of adrenaline of hanging out of some type of aircraft photographing another one that's you know feels like it's within arm's reach of you <laughs> is definitely a uh just an amazing experience um you know especially starting up and getting up in the air and uh having the wind whip past you it's it's loud but it's it's calm and then i think the best part is just uh all of a sudden you see the the aircraft you're going to be photographing just kind of be in eyesight and then it popping up closer to you and i mean you can you know see the pilot's eyes and they're that close and you just have this giant aircraft that is just huge and immense and whatever it may be but the fact that it's just you know hovering right off your your wing and you're photographing is is pretty unreal um so i think uh i mean that especially for the the uh experience portion of it but um you know i still i still love photographing people but uh yeah i think those are probably the two things i love and when i say people i mean more kind of geared towards towards uh, portraits things like that um okay so yeah cool that's cool um do, do you have any previous experience flying before you got into this stuff uh surprisingly no um okay i yeah just the uh just the little bits of uh the off-road racing from helicopters from you know air mm-hmm. to ground but yeah. uh, no that's it so it was definitely a uh a new experience for me um a uh, a good surprise <laughs> as well but <laughs> um but uh, yeah no nothing nothing in the background do you recall uh, what your first aircraft that you shot was yeah it was actually the uh it was lewis air legend owned uh Douglas A twenty G Havoc. And, Over those uh, foggy forest? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That yeah. was the first I, that was the first time you shot an <laughs> aircraft? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well you um, did all right. Yeah, I mean I well Do you, you know, sense the well, jealousy? <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll always I'll always say I you know, I should tattoo it on myself by now, but luck favors the prepared that just you know with i think with uh the background you know that i've had and just you know the years of experience and stuff like that it was you know in that that time of day you know i mean obviously we planned for that so but you know it's not like we had guys with fog machines down in that forest um, we just kind of <laughs> you know it was it, oddly enough that was like a, a patch small small patch of fog um that was down there other than that it was relatively nowhere else so um we just, I saw it coming up and I just, you know, <laughs> dozens, dozens of shots just to get through that little forest patch right there. It, it worked out. So, How much control do you have during these flights? Do you have communication with those guys? Uh, depends. Um, but for, for the Lewis Air Legend stuff, yeah, I have pretty much full control. And before we go up, we will... Um, Obviously, if it's a planned one, and I say planned where, you know, there's a there's a purpose, like we're going to go photograph this plane right now. When it's that, yeah, we'll, we'll go through um, what I want, um, what I'm looking for, the angles, things like that. Um, and so we'll kind of go through a flight pattern before we get up there. So the pilot is aware of what's going on. Everyone knows what's what we're planning on doing and you know, certain cues, verbiage, things like that. I mean, we try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, so yeah, we, and then when we're up there, you know, we'll be, we'll have, uh, we'll have communication. So something changes, I need you to move up, move down. Um, you know, I can relay that easy enough sometimes, especially photographing from old warbirds. Sometimes there's communication issues or something's just not working. Um, so we always talk about hand gestures too simple just up down move away move forward um things like that um but again we planned on that and that's failed because it was bright sun was in the pilot's (laughs) eyes he couldn't he couldn't see my he couldn't see my hand gestures and communication wasn't working but 
um, you know, we, we make it happen. And, uh, but yeah, then there's other times where, you know, we, we are, we're flying to an air show and, you know, so I'll always jump in the back and we'll say, you know, we'll, we'll always, Hey, well, while we're flying out, let's get some air to air. So, um, we may not be doing any sort of dynamic, you know, flight patterns or anything, but there's definitely a few pilots that we have that will gladly dance around behind our aircraft for some photos and stuff. So, um, and, and that, I just kind of, you know, just, they, I think we've done it so many times now. It's just, they, they know what I'm looking for and I'll just do a couple little hand gestures and they'll just, you know, do their thing and just spray away <laughs> photos. For that, uh, for the A20, uh, foggy shot was, was that just lucky? Cause he couldn't see your hand signals and you couldn't tell him where to move around or, uh, yeah. Um, that let's see if I can remember. Um, we did, so that was up in Oshkosh for, uh, 2017. And, uh, I was actually with, uh, Scott Slocum in his, uh, Bonanza. Mm-hmm. And so we were both photographing. I was photographing for Lewis Air Legends. He was photographing for um, EAA, I think, and a few specific things. And um, so we, yeah, we had talked about, you know, before we went up, um, we didn't know what it was really like on the landscape out there, except it was overall, it was it was really clear. But, um, you know, we, we got up pretty early to get that nice uh, golden hour in the morning. And, uh, we just talked about going over the lake, um, things like that. And I think just along the way, um, you know, we just passed by, I mean, it's, it's actually a beautiful country up there and it's always green. So that's always nice. Um, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, that part, we just kind of lucked out. I think if you saw those trees without the fog, it may or may not have been as, as unique or as cool, but, um, yeah, in, in short that those trees who just happen to be passing over after the lake and lucked out with that fog. Brilliant shot. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) These these are some of the, like, if you, for the listener, if you have not seen the Lewis Air Legends website, it's Bradley's photography all over it. And this A20 shot that we're discussing is the lead shot on the bombers section they're some of the best photos I've ever seen, really. And they're some of the rarest aircraft in existence as well. They have one of the very few flying de Havilland mosquitoes, this A-20 Havoc, Tiger Cats, Bear Cats, uh, the P-38 Glacier Girl, which is probably... I'm It's one of my favorite warbirds flying today. Yeah. Well, and for, for what it's worth, the, the Lewis Air Legends site is a mix of a lot of photographers. Um, I don't want to take credit away from them. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, there's, there, that's a mix of, of stuff, um, you know, from over a decade or so. But uh, the, for the listeners, for the Instagram, our Instagram and Facebook page, the, the majority of that is, is the stuff that I've shot. Just again, don't want to take credit away from, some other very talented uh photographers so but and then i usually in the credits i'll usually put if it's someone else i always i'm always crediting whoever it is just so that they can get their their uh credit so yeah i think it you know we'd be remiss if we didn't at least uh you know get the nickel tour of of glacier girl and and what she's all about bradley you yes. want to give us a little yeah yeah um hopefully i'm accurate in everything i say um but uh it, yeah, so Glacier Girl uh, is P-38 that uh, back during World War II, uh, and I can't remember how many other P-38s, and I believe uh, some B-17s. I think it was five uh, P-38s and one B-17, I think. Yeah. Um, we're uh, taking off to kind of sneak around the back door of Europe, uh, all new aircraft, and uh, took off, flew over Greenland, um had uh some unfortunate events uh coming into the uh, airport where they airports they thought they were going to land um were closed 
and they couldn't <laughs> land uh, due to snow and, and weather and things. Um, so they turned around and had to kind of double back to go back to another airport only to find the same thing. And I believe uh, got a little uh, misguided. Um, we're kind of in an area they uh, didn't expect to be. Um, and had got basically got to a point where they they needed to do something uh they needed to land and all they had available to themselves were was a, a glacier <laughs> and uh <laughs> so one one landed wheels down um which caused the plane to flip over um nobody was hurt everyone else saw that so uh gear up and everyone else belly landed just fine and and everyone was fine. They uh, believe they hung out there for 11 days until they were picked up. Um, couldn't do anything. Couldn't move the planes. Had to leave them there. All new, brand new aircraft. Uh, took off. And then uh, decades and decades later, uh, people start realizing that there's planes on this glacier. And there were, I think for, I don't know when the first expedition took off to see if they could find uh, one of the p38 um but they they took off just thinking they were going to find this thing and and just kind of <laughs> throw in some oil and some gas and, and get it up and running and, and go but got there couldn't find anything uh 12 expeditions later uh or sorry on the 13th expedition to search for them uh a uh a group found one couldn't locate anything else uh found it which ended up being 268 feet below ice at that point so mm. that much snowfall uh to put in perspective over i think at that point was 50 years so they basically uh, uh set out over a decade to recover it so they were able to basically drill with a method of kind of a, a melting the uh, ice with a kind of drill shaped um heating coil and uh got down there melted out the ice around the uh P-38 uh, had to take it apart down there and then hoist up part by part. And uh, that took from the time of that expedition to the time of getting it all out for 10 years. They only had a small window every year to be able to go out there just due to weather. And it got shipped to Kentucky, uh, Middlesbrough, Kentucky, and where it then went under another 10 years of restoration. Uh, where it had its first flight and then uh my boss rod lewis ended up purchasing it and it now finds its home in san antonio unbelievable that's yeah, a pretty wild story um all the all the i'm probably not doing it justice but yeah all the photos of just seeing what they had to go through to recover that thing is just incredible and then hearing the i worked with bob carden who was the um project manager on that and you just tell the stories of, you know, getting down in that cave that deep and you could just hear the creaking, the movement of the glacier when you're that deep down in there. <laughs> oh, man. And they said at time, there was one time where all the power went out too. So they're just down in pitch black, 268 <laughs> feet below ice, just hearing, you know, this, this just mammoth sized creaking of a oh. giant glacier that you're inside of. So Got I'm sure there's phobias. plenty of other stories. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you know the i think the the two funniest and kind of craziest parts of that whole thing were small but they uh they took the guns out and they still fired they still had ammo and they they uh put some targets out there and they still fired <laughs> all the all, all those years later and everything uh and then they when they got it back to kentucky they sent the goodyear tires uh to goodyear and told them what the project was. And obviously Goodyear doesn't manufacture those anymore, but um, they would they went ahead and made them for kind of a one-off thing. And when they sent them, they still had the rims and everything. The air was still in the tires. And they jokingly told Goodyear, hey, can you keep the air for us? <laughs> and just kind of as a joke, well, Goodyear sent the tires back and they sent the original tires back. And then there was an extra box and they opened it up and there were these clear glass jars. <laughs> it was literally Goodyear pumped the air from those tires into some, some vials. 
I don't know if it was a joke on Goodyear's end, but there was nothing that indicated that it was. So they, <laughs> they literally saved the air from these tires for 50 years, 60 years. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's published or I can't even remember. Maybe I'd seen it at Oshkosh, but that was quite a bit of video and a, a documentary, if I remember right, that was uh, yes. put together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is that yeah, available there's... anywhere? Do you know? Uh, if you come visit us, I'm sure I could find one of the DVDs in, in one of the faucets sure. that we have, yeah. but I know it was on, I believe history channel did a long, uh, a thing on it. That's um, kind of what I was remembering. Yeah. I'm not sure where you could find that now, but I'm sure somewhere on the vast landscape of the internet, it's, it's gotta be out there somewhere. The photo on the uh, Lewis Air Legends page heading the fighters is Glacier Girl over, is that New Zealand? I'm not sure where that is. Um, Not to to crush any dreams, but it's a composite. So, Ah. yeah, um, which was done by Paul Bone, a very good composite. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, by Paul Bone. And yeah, I'm not sure exactly what, what uh what the background is there where it is an awesome photo though (laughs) yeah yeah really great the the wide angle is really staggering like that Mm -hmm. what does it mean to you to work for a museum representing this type of living history it's really satisfying just to see the uh, aviation community and how diehard they are and to put stuff out there that's well received is is nice, but it and just what it means to people though, not just the photos, but the fact that these things are still flying and you know being able to yeah capture them in a kind of modern capacity instead of just seeing old black and white photos that are scratchy yeah. and grainy and it's it's pretty neat because um, you know my grandfather flew in World War Two and. Um, so it's it's kind of neat to be capturing, you know, I feel like capturing him, at least, you know, a blip of, of what he experienced and magnify that to the, you know, tens of thousands and not, I'm sure, millions of people that either were in World War II or had a family member um, and just kind of grew up around that is, is pretty neat. So it's, I guess, from my vantage point, I really see the, the magnitude of uh, or the array of people that it uh, touches and it's it's pretty neat and definitely seeing all of the likes comments um, things like that and then being at our shows in person talking with a lot of people it's pretty neat pretty neat um, what did your father fly uh grandfather or grandfather um, excuse me sorry yeah no problem uh i think he flew a t6 and i wish i could say for certainty but I am currently, he wrote a book about his time spent in World War II, which was in the South Pacific. And uh, he died when I was in high school. So, and I was living 3000 miles away from him at that point. So I never really, never really got to know him uh, too close. And I know he liked to talk about that stuff, but I was just a teenager and, you know, I guess at the time didn't care too much. Um, unfortunately yeah. but and then distance as well didn't help but i mean you know growing up around him i i knew he did that he always had model planes um so on and so forth around and knew he was into that but anyway he wrote a book which i'm currently retyping um up in digital form because he typed it out on a typewriter and um oh, wow. so i'm trying to well definitely get it retyped so i'm taking it literally word by word and retyping it so um i just haven't gotten to the point where I knew what he flew. I have a lot of pictures, but they're kind of vague on what is in the background mm-hmm. um, and what he flew. But I'll find out um, once I'm finished the book. And I'm going to try my hardest to get it published kind of in, in honor of him. I don't think he ever really set out to do that. He just wanted to type it out just while he could remember it all. So <laughs> That's really cool, man. That's a cool project. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really satisfying. Do you find yourself when you're when you're doing that uh, that your your process right now is just literally retyping the words so you can't quite take it all in and and once you get everything typed out then you'll try to go back and read everything or how does yep. that kind of work? 
Yeah, dead on. I'm I'm not the fastest typer. Um so yeah, I'm 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 reading it, but it's it's harder to ingest when it's going that slow, you know? Um and then backing up, you know, correcting a word or whatever the case may be. Um yeah, I definitely will go back through it once I'm done typing it and just read it at a regular pace, just to really ingest it. But there's definitely some stuff that um was that I'll remember that are just kind of his his memories and stuff that uh that definitely stand out but um yeah i'll definitely have to give it another few reads over so because i made a, a small teaser about it um just made a quick little like two minute video uh about what i'm trying to do with that so definitely need to go back through it for sure once i'm done typing that's cool man well, what's been uh what's been one of your favorite either locations or shoots that you've done with Lewis so far? Uh, I think, um, I mean, the mosquito comes to mind. I think again for, I didn't get to shoot any air to air of it in New Zealand, but I, I mean, just that experience of being able to travel to New Zealand with them to photograph it and document it on its first flight after, you know, I think four, four or five years of restoration on that was, was pretty incredible um it's awesome and uh and then being able to kind of follow it around you know we brought it to brought it to oshkosh um, last year uh and actually before that you know it got taken apart dismantled shipped here (laughs) cargo containers from new zealand and then documenting that it arriving in parts and all the kiwis that that built it came out and put it back together and documented that that was pretty interesting wow um you know, and then and then it's for its first flight here. Um, again, that was that was pretty incredible. And then obviously Oshkosh, and we did a lot of uh, still in motion um, up there of it air to air, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, so I, th- I mean that one stands out just from its rarity. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful aircraft. Um, and uh, I mean, it looks like it just rolled off the line. And um, yeah, so that one that one stands out, I think, just from all that I've been through with that that plane. It's pretty neat. That's pretty cool. What uh, what gear do you use when you're doing your um, thing, both yeah. in the air and from the ground? Yeah. Um, the main camera body I use is the Canon 1DC, which the C is for cinema. Um, is now discontinued, but it's still an awesome camera. I'm not partial to any any specific camera manufacturers per se. Um, I just run Canon. That's just kind of always been in my hand, so I'm just kind of used to it. Um, and I like their array of, of lenses and stuff. But uh, the um, 1DCs I, I like and I purchased at the time just because of the amount of photo and video that I do and um trying to maximize content um with that we'll you know shoot full 4k um so it's nice to be able to toggle if i need to um plus it's a obviously much smaller than a cinematic camera so it can get in smaller spots and still get some beautiful footage from that and then uh robust battery in it so that's always nice just depending um you know how long we're doing something i never have to switch batteries one battery will last me eons um and then just having that kind of dual uh hard slot is in there just in case had happened a memory card failure there's all you know there's another one in it so it's immediately backed up definitely had some moments in the past where you lose content and it's the worst feeling in the world (laughs) um man so uh that's why i like that and then um for air to air i predominantly just shooting with the um uh canon 70 to 200 uh f 2.8 um it's just a great focal length um and typically with just how close the planes are getting it's a great focal length it's rarely gonna rarely gonna need anything less than 70 um unless we're doing something different where you know i just feel it, it uh, would work we'll you know I'll throw on a wider lens and get them really, really close. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's typically what I'm running in the air. And then that's, 
in conjunction with, uh, I use the uh, Kenyan KS 4x4 stabilizer, gyro stabilizer. Um, and that is a huge, huge help. I know it's not a, a cheap accessory, if you will, but it's, it, uh, it's a must. Um, there's times where the air is just incredibly bumpy and uh, trying to shoot at slower shutter speeds to get some nice prop blur. Um, you just, with how bumpy it gets without that thing, there's just no way you're going to get a sharp mm-hmm. image. Um, so I, I highly recommend that if you ever find yourself in there, there's definitely places you can rent them. If anyone listening ever gets the opportunity, spend the extra couple dollars to go rent one. Um, you'll thank yourself, uh, for the tack sharp, uh, images you, you walk away with. That's pretty much it. That's, it's a pretty simple setup. Um, nothing extravagant, just that that's what I'm running there. And then from the ground, um, well, and I'll go back, uh, when I'm shooting uh, video, I use the Canon C300 Mark II, also kind of with an array of, of lenses, um, 24 to 105, what I'm using, I can't remember. But again, just depends, um, you know, what, what we're shooting for, or if it's just to get some certain types of footage. Um, the 70 to 200 on that filming is different and kind of interesting, so... Sometimes I'll use a just different focal length and different lens altogether. But um, yeah, and then from the ground, really all the same setup, same camera bodies, same lenses, uh, except on the ground, uh, I use the Canon 100 to 400. Um, and uh, yeah, the thing does its job well. Uh, higher f-stop, but again, when it comes to that stuff, I don't think you'd want to really shoot any shallower anyway right and especially during you know sunny days you know typically shooting at f16 so um didn't matter if it was a f2.8 or not um shooting that high doesn't matter so right yep cool man do you have any favorite artists or photographers or anyone that you like to playfully emulate or anything like that yeah, uh, I mentioned him earlier. I didn't say him by name, but Willie Kessel. Um, and it's not just because he's a friend of mine. I he he's a surf photographer, but I mean, I look at his stuff and I just I'm like dumbfounded. Um, his, I think his there's just something about his work that that strikes me. And um, you know, oddly enough, it's a a lot of other photographers' work that are not in aviation and things like that 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 are that really stand out to me. And I think that's where a lot of my influences have come from and still do. Um, and I think that's kind of how I approach aviation again, because really before I started working with Lewis air legends, you know, I mentioned earlier, my, my background was in a lot of different disciplines, but you know, a lot of portraits and advertising and celebrity and, um, stuff. So, with all of that stuff that I've learned, I, I feel like I approach aviation a little differently. Um, you know, and I always hope it shows, but, um, yeah, I mean, Willie Kessel is definitely one of them. Um, and, uh, gosh, of course I'm drawing a blank when I'm on the spot, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just, there's been a lot over the years. Um, but immediately that's, that's definitely one that comes to mind. Um, you know, again, couldn't be any further from aviation, but, um, you know, and I guess if you're getting into aviation, Paul Bowen, um, I mean, he's definitely someone that I think just, I mean, he's been doing it since 1972. Uh, he's got a ton of experience. He knows what works, what doesn't. Um, and just from an instructional standpoint, you know, just kind of looking at his work, um, you know, you can learn a lot from it and, uh. And it's just it's killer stuff, and he was kind of a pioneer in it. So he he's coined a lot of certain looks in aviation photography, and uh, you know you just go to feel like you go to any FBO or something like that, or somewhere, and they've got some artwork up, you know, photographic artwork, and it, I swear it always ends up being his. So he's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure some other photographer will pop up in my mind in a few minutes. Maybe I'll blurt it out if I remember. Yeah, do it.
I'm just kind of curious. We, you know, going back to your air to airs, um, I assume you've probably got a lot of, a lot of platforms at your disposal, but what's, uh, what's your typical air to air platform look like? Yeah. Um, typically, at least with Lewis air legends is the B 25. We have the rear, currently we have the rear end taken off. So the gunner position is completely removed. So it's just open air back there, which is really nice. Um, and is unobstructed. So plane behind us can basically be anywhere and, and, uh, I have the opportunity to shoot it. So, um, you know, with the, you can still shoot out of the, uh, port in the tail gun area if it's still, uh, attached, but you can only go so far left and right and down or else you start getting the, the aircraft in the way or the guns in the way. So yeah, it's currently removed. So we shoot a lot out of that, which is also nice. It can, you know, a lot of the other aircrafts don't have to slow down too much, uh, if it was a smaller one. Um, and then you have a nice, uh, view out of the side of the B 25 as well. Um, so you can always get a nice profile shot, um, from there and that's pretty unobstructed as well. So, um, but then we do also shoot from our, uh, Cessna, uh, 208 caravan. Um, so we'll remove the door from that and we'll usually just strap in and we'll shoot from that. So it just kind of really depends on, you know, what, what we've got available, what the circumstances are. Um, obviously the B 25 is a lot more work, um, re requires two pilots. So, um, you know, there's a little more work that goes into it. Um, but if it's, uh, you know, the Cessna can just be one pilot and it's smaller, you can just pop up in the air real quick. It's, <laughs> You know, and uh, it's got a lot more modern uh, technology in it. So, so how does that uh, does that work? When since you're the creative director, do you just say, "Hey, we need to get a shot of this aircraft," or uh, I'm just kind of curious how that all how that all works within your organization? Yeah, um, it's. I wish it was as easy to. I wish I could just say, "Yeah, let's go photograph this today and and go do it." Um, it's not as easy, but um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where, um, like right now we're kind of on a push to where we're like, okay, we need to get some updated stuff, um, some photos some video. Um, so we will, we're always looking for times where we can kind of double dip and, uh, you know, if we have a purpose to like, we have to fly somewhere. Okay. We'll, we'll try to, you know, we'll get another aircraft up and, and we'll get some stuff um, some shots of that. So trying to just take advantage of, uh, times that we have where we're going to be flying multiple air aircraft. And then especially air shows, we usually, um, obviously the, the majority of that is, you know, what are we going to bring? And there's a purpose behind what we're going to bring, but we'll always, uh, as if time allows, we'll always do some air to air. Um, just cause boss knows that we need updated stuff. Uh, but yeah, and then I'll always make recommendations. I'll talk to the pilot too, and we'll make recommendations on uh, what we think could and should be photographed. Um, and then we'll kind of relay that to uh, Mr. Lewis. And if he gives us the okay, then awesome, we'll go do it. Um, but then, you know, the being the creative director comes with a lot of other stuff. Um, just, you know, with kind of a lot of stuff that, probably people never see just designs and making this and creating that and managing, you know, websites and content that's going out and all that. But, um, but you know, we also, the, the fun part of it is that I also still do all the stuff with the off-roading, which is very minimal now, but we still do that. Um, do stuff for the corporate side. Um, and, uh, just a bunch of other fun stuff that he has. Um, so it's, yeah, I wish I I wish I had the power to just say, you know what, let's go let's go take these aircraft up and go do it today. But um, but uh, it definitely gets done. It just takes a little bit of uh, nudging and coaxing and. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. I know what it takes just to get up and do a shoot with a one seventy two around here. So I can't imagine when you're burning a lot more a hundred low lead and and requiring yeah, multiple yeah. crew members and mm -hmm. and just. Uh, yeah. Just the everybody knows what the hourly rates of these things are, and, and it's yeah. 
it's not a yeah not a free thing for sure no yeah and i think uh the we also um because of the the quality and size of the collection um we get asked by quite a few people to film some stuff like we um just a few months ago uh i mean we filmed the mosquito but brightling came to us and wanted to work with us to get some content um so that's always nice and there's a perfect reason to get some planes up in the air and photograph them uh science channel just a few months ago and wanted to do some stuff with glacier girl so there's definitely stuff around where it's not based on us it's outside people wanting to do something so that's always nice to have a purpose and have an excuse to get some awesome planes up in the air and photograph them so i think we kind of glossed over it a little bit but you know we, we keep referring to photography 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 but you've got some of the most elegant looking aviation video out there um i'm i'm just kind of curious where did where did video come into play compared to just still photography video has always been my well going back to middle school my dad was doing video um for a while and um so I think running around with a still camera and then seeing him do video stuff, it was just I always kind of there. And then when I got serious about photography, you know, video was just kind of always in the back of my mind. Um, and it was there. I just never felt comfortable, you know, for years showing or sharing that with people um, or at least trying to promote it to where I was looking to get hired by somebody. I just didn't feel like I could deliver, you know, because there's just so much more um to know and do with video uh but i think one of the things that kept it going was my senior year of high school we got a grant for a cinematography class which was awesome and that really opened my eyes to that realm of it so yeah i just i kind of always did it just for fun and more for an artistic thing i used to just you know when i was bored i'd just stay up at night and just do different camera movements and lighting and just make these weird artistic you know videos just for my own <laughs> enjoyment but um uh but yeah then over the years i just all of a sudden you know i'd be shooting some stuff and i was like why don't i take some video of this and i started doing it still not really promoting it but working with a, a good friend of mine von ware who does who's a cinematographer and director um a former usa track and field athlete so he had a lot of athletes at his disposal to photograph and film. And he used to kind of use me for my, uh, my compositions, angles, all that stuff that goes into creating the photograph. And he was like, I just, I really like your style. You know, can you, can you kind of set up my shots and, you know, for video. And I started seeing kind of the, that, bridge into video from photos so i was like yeah it's just it's it's framing you know video is just framing something that was the same way you would with photography or stills um but you know instead of clicking a shutter it just stays open <laughs> and yeah. and it's uh filming so yeah it just it kind of slowly crept in uh just finally got to a point where i felt comfortable with it and slowly started kind of advertising that i did video as well and the uh you know going back uh to when i first started doing stuff for mr lewis and his off-road team that was it actually wasn't for stills it was for video so um oddly enough and uh so did that obviously took some stills um but they wanted you know a video they wanted a full video of the race so we did that and um yeah then i've you know shot some other stuff over the years um but uh yeah and then to put me up in uh, planes and stuff. And even from the ground, filming is, is definitely uh, a challenge as well. Uh, you know, at least with stills, you can snap a photo and get bounced around and you can freeze it. But <laughs> bounces in video aren't fun and they're very hard to control. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's been, that's definitely been fun. And, and it's obviously a whole nother way to uh, showcase that to, people um and i think i'm in some pretty unique uh vantage points and to capture it on film uh video whatever vernacular you want to use um 
is is pretty unique. So it's it's neat for people to to see it and then to go ahead and edit something um, with all of that is is pretty fun. Brings the photos to life, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. How do you uh, deal with the quote unquote bouncing around in the back of a B twenty five when you're actually trying to roll video? Yeah, the that's that was definitely a challenge for a while. Um, the short answer is the uh, Bat Kenyon uh, KS four by four stabilizer. Uh, that thing is amazing. Uh, it's definitely a, an arm workout because um, the camera and then with that thing attached to the bottom of it is is uh, definitely gets heavy. But um, I've tried a number of things. I've I've tried the DJI Ronin out of both helicopter and aircraft and eh, it, it's not it's not perfect obviously um you know I, I wish we could have in a perfect world i think i'd just run a you know shot over <laughs> a camera system but um don't have that in the uh, uh budget right now but um but i think for the flexibility um and honestly the quality of stuff this the smoothness of what the uh, Kenyan can do is, is pretty incredible. Um, and to be that agile is, uh, is nice. Plus, you know, that Ken labs thing you can use on the ground as well. So, um, I'm going to start using that a little more from the ground, um, to, especially with, uh, piston aircraft, you know, with propellers and stuff, trying to get that propeller when they're flying by low level, trying to, um, you know, make a fast enough shutter speed, but try to get that propeller is definitely a, a challenge. But, um, you know, using the, the Kenyan definitely, it's hard to explain, but, you know, you put that thing in your hand and you feel like you're attached to a rail. So it's it's really nice. So I'm going to try to start using that from the ground uh, more, see if that, uh, I mean, it definitely helps for sure. But you can also um, use that for video and um, it you can be bouncing around, but that thing, is just in its own little world in its own little dimension and doesn't doesn't really matter what what's going on and how bumpy it is uh it it helps does a really good job i've often wanted to try one of those but never had the opportunity to i'm just kind of curious does it fight you when you're trying to reposition your framing or um does that part not really come into play no it you just feel kind of a resistance um but you you know you can push through it yeah it's kind of hard to describe uh have you ever gotten a as a kid like have you ever gotten a, a bike a mm-hmm. wheel off of your bike and were able to you know spin it fast enough in your hand or something and you feel that centrifugal force and it i don't know if that, yep, <laughs> that that's, relates that's exactly to anybody what it is. you know yeah but the, yeah that's what it is but then it's on four axis so right. um uh, it's yeah. It, it, any direction you go, it has that that um, resistance, that force to it. Um, so yeah, repositioning is no problem. It doesn't like fast movements, but um, you know, but it just feels fluid. It feels like you're kind of part of like you're a robot, or you've got an extension um, on your hand. Um, but yeah, it's, it's no problem. It's just you know, it can be it can be tiring though. So you definitely get a free workout from it. I can only imagine. So for somebody like me that, you know, I do photography and absolutely want to make that, I don't know if I'm what the right word is, but add the, add the video to my toolbox. Do you have any, any suggestions or any pointers for somebody that wants to just uh, dabble in that? I think, yeah, kind of what I said earlier about at least the way that I finally transitioned or at least it made sense to me um was uh you know just think of think of the reasons why you take certain photos from certain angles and what they look like and and really just uh keep camera movements or lack thereof simple um i think really just from a a beginning level just keep just focus on uh the framing the compositions and don't worry about camera movements and things like that that stuff will come with time because that's a challenge and how to move the camera to where it looks good is is not easy so um 
think the less is more factor when it comes into it. And I think just, you know, a lot of DSLRs now can take some type of video. Um, and I think, you know, go frame something the way you would photograph it. And once you get that photograph, click record and use that shot and then um, just keep doing that. And I think you'll kind of see it grow over time. So um, yeah, I think just finding the, the right vantage points, right framing, composition of, of your photo, um, just use that the way you would photograph it, but click record next time and then just kind of see where it goes. I know it sounds boring and it's probably going to, you're going to look at it and be kind of a simple shot, but um, I think it, uh, I think over time, the more and more you do it, it, it starts kind of organically growing in your uh, imagination kind of starts taking off a little bit. Yeah, that sounds like great advice. I know in my failed attempts at, you know, trying to, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> collect something cool. Uh, you know, we've, we've all got these cameras that are very capable of shooting video. And, um, you know, so I look at it like, why, why am I not shooting video? And, and bottom line, I get down to it and I just don't know what I'm doing. But, um, you know, I think one thing with me, I'm always trying to get, you know, the, the full disc of prop blur in the video. And mm -hmm. I find that at least with my gear that I'm, you know, when I'm getting it, uh, my shutter speed still set at you know one over sixty. That mm -hmm. my video is way blown out, and I'm just curious: do you uh, do you use a lot of variable ND to to make that happen, or uh, do you have any? Yeah, the the um, the Canon C300 Mark II that I use, uh, I love that camera, especially for the types of stuff I'm shooting and the way I'm shooting it. It's a great camera for that, um, and it has built-in ND filters. So I can just click a button and just roll in. <laughs> uh, That's convenient. I think up to, I think up to 10 stops. Wow. Uh, so that, yeah, that right there is, is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Cause same thing. I mean, you can, you can definitely get the, the propellers to look beautifully um, while uh, everything else is blown out. Um, but yeah, you just throw those in there and, and that definitely helps. Um, uh, but obviously with, you know, with DSLRs, yeah, I definitely grab some ND filters. Um, that can, that can really help for sure. Awesome. Well, now it's time for the tip of the show. This week's tip is going to be given by none other than our guest. I can say for Nick and myself that we're just excited as you to hear what Bradley has to offer. Bradley, take it away. You know, I juggled with a, a lot of different things to say and, and different tips and some of them seem really simple. Um, Others not so much, but uh, yeah, I'll mention this one just because it uh, it comes up a lot for me, and uh, and recently. But uh, at least for listeners, depending on your skill level and where you are, um, I guess this has a lot to do with beginners. But um, I get asked a lot by friends and family and and other people that uh, you know what I, I want to get a, a camera. What should I get? And you know, it's like the million dollar question and I think the thing I always say is there, I mean, you guys know as well, there's so many cameras out there, um, so many different manufacturers. Um, I think the technology that's out there, you almost can't go wrong. But I think the thing I always come back to is, is lenses. Spend your money on lenses. Don't feel obligated to buy the biggest, most expensive camera you can find. Uh, because you can, you can have a fifty thousand dollar Hasselblad and take a terrible photo. Um, so, uh, but you know, lenses uh, are key to me. Um, you can have a very expensive camera body and uh, not have any money left and get a very cheap lens, and then wonder why your photos are fuzzy or not so sharp or just have some abnormalities to them. So um, I definitely have some photos that I've taken over the years that, you know, looking back are now a, a 12 year old dinosaur digital camera, but <laughs> we're shooting with some, some good quality glass um, that got used for some awesome campaigns that, you know, is a great example. It doesn't matter 
sure, the body does matter to a point, but really just think about, you know, what are you trying to do? What's your purpose for these photographs? Is it just for fun? And especially if it's just for fun, say just do yourself a favor and just spend more money and more care on the lenses you get because lenses for the most part you will have for a very very long time um, typically will outlast multiple multiple bodies over the years um, so uh, a great example is I could be off on the on the year but you know Canon's uh, current lens system uh, you could use a lens from today and it will still work on a Canon body from 1987 and vice versa. So, uh, and going back to Aaron Chang that I worked for at the time, he had lenses that he had had for 25 years and was clearly not on the same camera body. So, uh, <laughs> I guess that's, that's my tip of advice. Um, cause you know, camera bodies will come and go technology constantly changes. Um, you know, what your purpose for taking photographs, um, comes and goes and changes. Um, so I think that's my tip. I know it may sound basic and it's not some mysterious, magical bit of advice that is really going to change your photos, but, uh, that that's one of the biggest things that I, I could probably preach about. Well, I think that's a fantastic tip and I don't think you're going to get any argument from either of us on it. So I think, <laughs> and, uh, well, and, and to piggyback on that too, like, you know, go out, rent lenses, um, you know, to anybody listening, if you're not sure, cause the last thing you want to do is, is go buy a lens just cause it's got certain features and so on and so forth. But in, in practical terms, you get out there and you start shooting and like, oh, this isn't working, but um, but yeah, rent lenses and then rent bodies too. Um, you know, see what works, see what feels good. Um, and, uh, you know, don't, you know, spending a couple bucks to go rent a lens is, will do you well in the long run. Um, make you feel what, uh, what works, what doesn't. Um, so see that as well before you just go buy stuff too. Yeah, I think, uh, to piggyback on that, it's probably worthy of a whole other tip of the show, but, you know, if you do one thing a year, if you shoot one air show a year or whatever it is, don't feel like you need to purchase that. Remember that you can rent it in, in coming years and absolutely, you know, and make sure that it's, that it's worth your time and, and your money to invest in whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. You're dead on. I mean, cause lenses are definitely not cheap. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and now there's, you know, everything now i mean you can rent lenses and they'll ship them to you you don't even have to go to a store um but yeah i mean I've, I've done that in the past too with uh certain lenses on commissioned work where you know client wanted x and you know i'd go rent whatever i needed um to do that it was just worth it instead of like great i could use this lens for this shoot but i don't know if i'm ever going to use it again or you know something so yeah just do that have fun with it it's kind of like uh, renting cars, you know, go rent something you want to drive, but you may not buy it, but it's fun to drive and you got, <laughs> you got your kicks with it. And there you <laughs> go. Well, I think it's time that we land our plane. What do you guys think? Solid. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bradley, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, thank you for your unique eye and your inspirational work and also big ups to the Lewis air legends for recognizing an incredible talent. Yes. You want to take some time and tell the listeners where they can find your work? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, you can find me, uh, I think predominantly on Instagram. That's mostly where uh, I'm focusing on. Uh, and that's just my name, Bradley Wenzel. Uh, it's W-E-N-T-Z-E-L. And uh, I'm on Facebook uh, and uh, Reddit as of kind of recent had a reddit account forever but really just started use, utilizing it over the past few months um and uh, yeah all of those handles are bradley wenzel uh i believe reddit might be oh gosh <laughs> well on the spot i can't remember my reddit handle but whatever just search for bradley wenzel on reddit you'll, you'll find me i don't have anything anything uh abnormal but uh yeah that's where you can find me and then 
for what it's worth too, if you go to my website, bradleywenzel.com, uh, you can see a lot more of my other work besides just aviation um, for what it's worth and my video work as well. So uh, the Instagram and Facebook is predominantly aviation, but my website has a lot of my other uh, portrait, auto, automotive, um, and uh, video work there as well. So Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic stuff. I definitely highly recommend everybody go check it out and um with that uh you know thank you again for joining us we we had a great time we're really excited to get this one posted for everyone to hear and yeah man awesome well thanks guys for having me it was a pleasure yeah thank you very much dude yeah hopefully i'll see you at the show here soon Yeah. yeah definitely let's figure that out well, you can find both Nicks here on Instagram. Uh, you can find Nick Pascarella at at Nick's Glass Eye, and you can find me at gravity.images. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Full Disc Aviation is a group of aviation photographers and enthusiasts that are passionate about sharing our love for aviation with you. Visit our website at fulldiscaviation.com for exclusive interviews, stories, and photo galleries, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for frequent content updates. Also, please leave us a review in iTunes. We always welcome any feedback that can improve the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. And don't forget, Full Disc begins at 160th.